Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. What election did you care the most about and why? This last one we just had with Biden winning. It was important because people don't understand their rights. The Trump election just 2016, just because it was so like dramatic, like literally a reality TV show. Yeah, I would say F Boy Island at this point is like... You're gonna vote at F Boy Island? Well, you could like, what do you mean? I mean, I ran for class president in high school. So that was the only campaign that I have been a part of that I cared a lot about. Trump-Biden election definitely in this country was the most important anywhere. I'm 57. Biggest political events for me before that was probably the fall of the Berlin Wall. And did you vote in the midterm elections? No. Uh, No. (laughs) No. No, I haven't. I can't say that I've even been up to date politically as to what's happening. Welcome to the show. I'm Kusha Navidar, filling in for Kai Wright. Democracy. It's a big word. It's heavy, abstract. Even its definition gets debated. But what about the word vote? Now, that is concrete. It's an action. And it's very personal. As you heard, whether it's voting for president of the United States or president of your high school class, everyone's got a story about voting. For me, it goes back to when I became a U.S. citizen. I'm 16 years old in upstate New York at my naturalization ceremony in a room of maybe eight other people, all older than me. Everyone who speaks during that ceremony congratulates me on becoming a citizen and tells me what a big deal it is that I get to vote. And as a 16-year-old kid, I remember thinking, wow, this is a lot of pressure. (laughs) I took voting seriously because for me, it wasn't a given. Now, presidential elections were easy, but throw in midterms, special elections, city council, it was hard to keep up. And clearly, I'm not the only one who thinks that. The midterms are fast approaching, and they'll likely receive a fraction of the people who vote in presidential elections. And some would argue that it's the other elections, the smaller ones, that are even more important than the presidential for your local community. So I want to know what gives. There are so many systemic issues that get in the way of increased turnout. But what about the personal obstacles? Can we talk about what makes people excited to vote? And can that inform a way to help us, I don't know, make voting better? Roxana Moritz is the former chief election officer in Scott County, Iowa. Not only has she spent a career trying to promote and protect voting, she's also faced a threat of losing her own voting rights because of her work. Roxana, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So let's get started with your own story. You've been in public service for over 20 years. What drew you to focus on voting for your profession? 
Well, originally I moved from Florida to Iowa in the early 90s, and I hadn't participated in voting up until that time. But I moved into a community uh, and an area of the city that I moved to that I felt like needed some work. And it it appeared to me that it wasn't getting the city's attention that it needed to have. So I got involved. And after four years of living there, I ran for city council. Uh, I think if you want to affect change, you have to be part of change. And you have to be involved in that process in one way or another. So I lost my first election, but mm. I learned a lot. I stayed involved and I ran again. And on my second, uh, my second time, I won. I served three terms uh, on city council. I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish for the community and decided to retire from that position. And then I ran for County Board of Supervisors and I served a half a term there. Uh, and I say a half a term because our commissioner and chief election officer at the time passed away. And from running all those campaigns, I had gotten really involved in how important it was to vote in every election, no matter who you are or who is running, that we each have a voice and each one of our voices really, really matter. So I ran for that position and was elected in 2008 re-elected in 2012, re-elected in 2016, and then re-elected in 2020. And four months after, well, five months after being re-elected, I chose to leave the position. And what happened? Why did you choose to leave the position? Um, 2020 was a very difficult year for many of us as election officials. We knew it was going to be tough going in in 2019 because all presidential elections are very stressful. Um, but then we added COVID to that and all of the things that had to be changed. There was no roadmap to a worldwide pandemic. We were all doing just what we needed to do to make sure that we ensured that we had a fair and honest election, that people saw that it was a good election. And um, I left because they're just seemed to me to be a partisan divide. And I, I think I started seeing it around 2008, where it was no longer just what was best for the citizens and the community. There was a definite division of each party. Um, and I really didn't feel like I had the support of both parties. My board of supervisors was dominated by uh, Republicans. I missed a code section uh, one code section, one sentence that said I didn't have the authority to pay hazard pay to my poll workers. And because of that, um, the board um, wasn't sure what I had done illegally, but um, there was a lot of chatter. And of course, social media plays a role in it. And I'm still under investigation right now from the state auditor, rather I Mm. Did anything wrong or not? So you missed one sentence and that caused a lot of backlash, it sounds like. What was that experience like for you after having been in the position since you said 2008, right? Right. I still experience uh, anxiety over it, you know, uh, during COVID um, and all of the national media attention that was uh, happening in 2020. Uh, we were just trying to move as quickly as we could to get all the safety things in place for COVID, for the primary election. I missed it in the primary, not in the general. Mm. Um, so we are going into COVID where we're about 60 days in uh, and I missed the code section. I felt like people should be paid if they felt like coming to work, you know, being part of the process uh, and being at risk of getting COVID. And so uh, the new law changed, uh, which was uh, Senate file 413, which makes it that there's an opportunity for you to be charged with a, a felony and fined up to $10,000 um, for misconduct if you 
at the discretion, I, wow. I guess, of the Secretary of State. Yeah. And so you were exposed to that and you decided, you know, pack up my bags 2008 to, you said 2020, uh, time to go to New Horizons, I guess, right? Right. It's not only a felony, it's a, I lose my right to vote if you're charged with a mm. felony. So I think, you know, we all take those things very seriously. And I see that around the country is that you're losing the institutional knowledge that's been in place because of the threats and the underlying bullying that goes on uh, with the partisanship in the elections field. Most chief election officials just want to do their job. They just want to put on a good election, right. make sure everybody that has a legal right to vote, like you being a citizen, has the right to come out and express their their voice, use their voice to make a difference in in democracy. So let's talk about that that partisan divide they're talking about. Maybe maybe zoom out a little bit. With that two decades of experience you've got, do you think anything's changed about the spirit of voting, especially when it comes to less publicized elections like the midterms during the time that you've served? I do. I, I, I think as you so slowly seen that shift of the partisanship that people uh, just really feel like their voice does not matter. I lived in a county where our congressional district in 2020 was um, the closest of any election in 100 years. It mm. matters. Every single vote matters, no matter what election it is. Every voice needs to come to the ballot box. Um, Can we dig into that you, a little bit for a second, though? Sorry to yeah. interrupt you. It's just, um, you know, I, I hear from so many people. I hear from friends, for instance, they say, my vote doesn't matter. Uh, now, in the abstract, it, it's hard to feel like when you put your ballot in the ballot box that it's going to move the needle. So when somebody says something like that to you, my vote doesn't matter, what do you say back to them? I tell them that my husband won by five votes in his first city election. So his first term on city council, he won by five votes. Uh, Rita Hart's uh, election was less than 100 votes. It is very important that even if you feel it doesn't change the needle, that you're part of democracy, that you mm -hmm. take that issue to heart and to mind that we live in a country that gives us fair representation. Like you said, when you became a citizen, it was a huge issue for you that you were going to be able to actually participate in your governance, in your democracy. And that comes through your voice and it comes through your vote when you go to vote, whether that's a city election, a school election, a midterm election or presidential election. Every one of those elections matter. And there's, you know, a certain amount of irony in the sense that if, if your concern is how much impact a single vote has, it's actually often the smaller elections where your, where your vote could go further. So what do you think are the biggest challenges that get in the way of participation in these smaller elections, either systemic or, or you know, individual motivation? I think there's just not enough education, and I know that's a, a hard thing to wrap around because we always say just go educate the voter. But because in your large elections, like your presidential election, then down to your midterm elections, you see national news, you see radio ads for the campaigns, you see campaign workers out knocking. And in your smaller elections, you just don't have the dollars that are spent that you see in the bigger elections. And so you don't have the publicity for people to know what's going on. And we all live very, very busy lives. No one knows what someone else's life pattern is. You know, is that someone working two jobs who doesn't have time to invest to find out? Is that someone who can't get to the bus during the day to get to a polling location? Um, so we really have to challenge ourselves to make sure that we reach out to people 
people in a way that we can educate them on all elections. So I am a strong proponent of like what I call auditor on the roadshow. Let's go out in every election and let's share with people the election equipment that we use, the processes that we use to educate them and empower them to want to go vote. Mm, And when you think about folks that don't have that office, uh, what could they do as individuals to move the needle? Is there anything besides education? Because I feel like that's the answer I always hear. Is there is there something else that you've seen that works? Get involved. Be a poll worker. Work for the county commissioner in election. Um, get invested. Share your stories about when you went to vote, whether they're good or they're bad, whether um, you feel like you made a difference or not, but stay involved. Um, we need to work with our high school students. We need to work with our college students. And I I'm not sure if I heard this in your intro, but when I was raised, I went to the polls with my parents. And so Mm -hmm. it was a generational thing where we were taught the importance of voting. And so you got that when you became a citizen. Are we culturally teaching our children the importance of their voice and their vote? And you feel like that doesn't happen as much anymore or it's just different? I don't think it happens as much. I think people live very, very busy lives. They're not engaged because we can see that by the Mm. voting patterns of who votes. Um, And so I think we need to make sure that we're teaching our children what that democracy really means, that what people have fought for for this country for us to have the right to go to the ballot box. Yeah, let's pause it there. Uh, I'm talking with Roxana Moritz, who's the former chief election officer from Scott County, Iowa. Uh, We'll take a break, and when we come back, we're going to hear from people around the country about what got them excited to vote, whether it was in a political race or, get this, naming parts of Pluto. Now, that part gets me really excited. Uh, I'm talking with Roxana Moritz, and we'll be right back. everyone. Quick plug. This Wednesday, we're doing a special event talking about NFTs. That's the digital technology that's changing how artists distribute their work, and it could change even more in the future. The event is called Unriddling NFTs, and it's brought to you by The Green Space, which is WNYC's performing arts space. We'll be talking with BIPOC artists about what NFTs are and what it allows them to do as creators. If you want to check it out, you can watch the event on our YouTube channel. It'll be live streamed and and on demand. We'll leave a link in this episode's show notes. All right, thanks. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Echo, and I live in Austin, Texas. My name's Andrew. This is Claire from Milwaukee. 
the last time I was really excited to vote was in the 2016 presidential primary. I had turned 18 a couple weeks before. Bernie Sanders represented my views more than anyone else I'd seen in major politics. I haven't been excited to vote since, largely because it just doesn't feel like it makes a big difference when Democrats do win. My first election I was able to vote in was the 2016 presidential election, but the election I was most excited to vote in was my senior year of college. I was part of a sorority, and I remember the last election for the executive board feeling so important because I felt could have made or broken the success of the sorority for the next year. I'd like to start off by saying I voted in every U.S. election since I've been able to. That said, the most important election for me was the naming of features on Pluto and its moon Charon, supported by NASA and the International Astronomical Union in anticipation of New Horizons flyby on uh, July 14th, 2015. I lobbied really hard to get features named after creations by satire legend Terry Pratchett. Uh, it was really important to me because space, Pluto, and Sir Trey Pratchett are all magnificent beyond description. The time I was most excited to vote was my first presidential election in 1992. My sisters and I had turned 18. We were all in college at different universities. We came together for a weekend visit and we had our absentee ballots retrieved from our parents' house. I remember us sitting on my older sister's dorm room floor, punching our ballots. To me, this was something great. We were adults now, making some difference in the world. Welcome back. I'm Kusha Navadar. Now, the voices you just heard were messages we received from around the country. We asked people to send us stories about what election got them most excited to vote, both political and non-political elections. Thanks to everyone who submitted a story. So I'm joined by Roxana Moritz, former auditor and commissioner of elections in Scott County, Iowa. And Roxana, listening to those messages, were there any themes that stuck out to you? There were. So two, as I previously said, the last one where they said uh, they all came together as a family and as sisters and they felt like adults was a generational thing. So they had been taught or they felt the importance growing up of like, oh, my gosh, when I turn this age, I'm going to be an adult because I'm going to get to vote. Kind of like what you said in your intro. Um, so, and the other ones were like they were passionate about something that they wanted to see change in, and they followed through and were motivated to go uh, and vote. The one that saddens me the most of all three was the first one who voted and then felt disenfranchised because her candidate did not win. And we don't always win in elections. It's a uh, you have to take it for what it is, stay involved, and if you want to see change, make a difference by keeping to your values of voting and going to the ballot box and hoping and working for those campaigns. So I was saddened to hear she felt disenfranchised. I hear that, yeah. And another thing that stuck out to me, especially that, that, that you mentioned, was the excitement, that kind of, I have a personal stake in this. And to me, it just makes me wonder, is there anything we can take away about that element of it to address in elections that are are local or, or you know, I, 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 saying excitement about city council, a lot of people are excited, but a lot of people aren't. Is there something we can do there or is there anything that you've seen that, you know, bucks the system in that sense? Well, I'm always... Uh in every interview I always do, and especially the presidentials that I've done in the past, I always say it, I'm always enamored by the fact that 
people are not that enthused by their city elections or their school board elections because that is where they can make the most difference. That's where they can actually touch somebody. They can go to their office. They can have input. They can go to the meetings. They can speak. Um, and that's where their dollars go and they can see that budget. And I'm always just taken back by the fact that they don't feel like they have impact there, but they do in a presidential election. So I just think it really is a motivational challenge for us. And I know this is the word you hate, education. Um, I love education, just for the record. But yeah, I hear you. I hear you. (laughs) A way of looking at how we can look at this outside of the box of just what that word is in education. What does that mean? What are the tentacles to that? How can we deliver that to our younger generations in a way that becomes accepting to them to where you get to where the sisters sat around the table and had Mm. their absentee ballots and were so excited to be adults. How do we challenge ourselves to look outside of that arena and how to bring that to the uh, younger individuals. Yeah, I, I hear that. It's it's reframe, reframing and, and re-injecting the spirit, I, I guess is what I hear you say. Um, let's pause there for a second and bring back Roxanne in a second. But to get voices from all around the country, I'd like to bring on somebody else. Uh, we partnered with station KUOW in the Seattle area to ask for stories from their community. And I'm really excited about this because it's the first time I think the show's tried that. So we're joined now by Zeki Hamid, Director of Community Engagement for KUOW. Hi, Zeki. Hey, Krishna, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Oh, totally. I'm so happy to have you here. So you used text messages to talk to your community. Walk me through that a little bit. What did you do and what did you find out? Sure. So we have a club called the Community Feedback Club, and and people opt into this. And when they do, we send them about one or two texts per week asking for feedback on or story ideas. So we sent out a text and we're saying, hey, we're, we're partnering with this great show in New York. And uh, we asked them a question, what election did you care about the most and why? And we said any kind of election, political or not. So the one of the, uh, the cool things that's popped up was that systems was really top of mind for the people that wrote in. And specifically three things I want to point out. One was people talked about vote by mail. People feel really protective of that system. We have a vote by mail system here in Washington state. We've had it for many years, but I think people feel protective of that system, especially because vote by mail came under some scrutiny by some, uh, especially uh, by some in the GOP in the 2020 election. Um, So I'll give you an example. Uh, Lisa Mm -hmm. wrote and said, I care very much about all elections, local, state, and national. I guess I have the most fear and concern around national elections because of voting systems in other states that suppress votes and are open to manipulation. I think Washington's mail-in voting is very secure, and we've had uh, good election laws that are fairly enforced. So that was uh, a pretty cool example there about uh, about that system. Mm -hmm. And we got uh, uh, several messages about two other uh, systems, um, approval voting and ranked choice voting. And that kind of makes sense because here in Seattle in this November, voters will be able to choose if they want to adopt ranked choice voting or approval voting. Both electoral models allow voters to pick multiple candidates. But as you probably know, because I know you have this in New York, Mm -hmm. uh, ranked choice allows voters to rank their candidates by preference, while approval voting tabulates all of the votes evenly. And if either is passed, it will go into effect in Seattle for city attorney, mayor, and city uh, council elections. Mm, And let me just pause you here for a second, because since we're talking about ranked choice voting, I just want to shout out 
Bridget Bergen, who's WNYC City Hall and politics reporter, who has done a lot of work to cover and explain this arena. So if you're listening and you want to find out more about what ranked choice voting is, you can go to our website, WNYC.org, and search for that term, ranked choice voting, and read up on a lot of her coverage. So sorry to interrupt you, Zaki. Yeah, please, no please keep going. What else, what else did you see? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give you a couple of examples here of people texted in about those two systems that we just mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, Dan uh, wrote in and says, I hope ranked choice voting and approval voting can take prominent roles in these discussions. I think ranked choice voting is an important step we can take to allow voters, uh, to allow voter wills to be better represented and push against polarization. And one more I want to mention here, uh, I think this is pretty cool. Anne uh, wrote in saying, my most personally rewarding elections have come from the adoption of ranked choice voting in both my reading group and my charitable giving group. Hmm. Ranked choice voting is a method that means if your first choice doesn't win, your second favorite could. So our votes continue to count and a significant degree of satisfaction remains. Civility reigns and partisan misbehavior declines. Just ask Alaskans. So I thought that was pretty cool that she uh, adopted that in something that is more personal to her, which is her reading group and charitable giving group. So Seattle likes systems, I guess. Yes. Is that, yeah. <laughs> and can you tell me a little bit about that? What, what what's, what's unique about the Seattle community and in, in the responses that you got? You know, they're they're very engaged. Seattle is a really engaged group. Um, our voting uh, percentages are pretty high. Um, and I think a lot of them are engaged on looking for ways to continue to make voting more fair and to make it really accessible. Um, we've had a great Secretary of State, um, uh, uh, Kim Wyman, uh, who was a Republican, but had left now the office and Steve Hobbs have taken over. Uh, but she is incredibly passionate uh, about making sure that our voting systems are fair and, and just make it really accessible to everybody. So I think Seattleites uh, really care about that. Yeah. And I want to give a shout out to everybody in the Seattle area that that, that helped Zeki out with this and, and brought us their insights. It's really special to have it. And, and Zeki, before we let you go, and, and thank you so yeah. much for, for partnering with us on this. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your own voting story? Oh, sure. So uh, I just a little bit of background. I came to the States in 94. I'm an immigrant. I'm Palestinian, but I was born and raised in Jordan. And I got my citizenship in uh, July of 2001. And I was really excited to to finally be registered to vote. I was registered to vote in New York. But by the time the, the 2002 midterm elections came, I was in Delaware and I missed the deadline for requesting an absentee ballot. So I couldn't vote in 2002. And oh, that no. just really weighed on me. But by 2004, I was now in Seattle. And the first time I got to vote was in um, February of 2004. And it was a special election. There's only one thing on the ballot, which was a school levy, a foregone conclusion, because here in Seattle, we love school levies, and we always overwhelmingly approve them. Um, and only about 30% or so of, of eligible voters actually ended up voting in that election, or I think in registered voters. Um, but I just was so incredibly happy. And by Back then, we had to go into a booth, so I did manage to experience of going to booth and pulling, you know, and just uh, 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 voting for that levy. Uh, that just meant the world to me. It was the first time I was ever able to vote in anything in my life, and uh, to experience democracy like that, uh, it was addictive. I've never missed a single election since. Oh, wow. started with school levies, and it just grew from there. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Zeki Hamid <laughs> is Director of Community Engagement for KUOW. Uh, thanks so much, Zeki. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Roxanne, I want to turn it back to you uh, in a lot of Zeki's um, 
what he got from his community. I, I heard this this focus on systems, and, and it's interesting because it feels like there's a tension between whether the idea of voting itself should change with with how we consider votes to be tabulated. It, for me, it, it's kind of like a, a constitutional argument, almost like originalist versus living and evolving. Uh, what do you think about that, especially as new systems and options, ranked choice voting, for instance, come up? What does that resonate for you? Well, first, I have to say to Zeki. <laughs> Um, I, I have chills when he talked about like what that meant to him to vote. Mm. Um, he took it so seriously and he felt bad when he wasn't able to vote in the first election. So, you know, I wish that every single individual felt and experienced what you and he both have done and felt, um, ranked choice vote. I'm really not familiar enough with it, but with systems, everything he said about his texts about um, vote by mail and how protective Washington is about that is the opposite for some of us in the Midwest who use election equipment. Not me specifically, but people challenge the thought of how um, safe vote by mail is, much like how they probably feel how safe our equipment is, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, vote by mail would definitely encourage more people to vote. Uh, if we can't get vote by mail, we had two auditors, oh, I'm sorry, three auditors in the uh, primary uh, election in 2020 mail out absentee ballots to every single registered voter. And they were sued. Mm. Uh, and they lost um, because there was a law in Iowa that says you can't do that. But we're Many states are trending towards making it less available to get to the ballot box. It's less days to get an early vote. So while I would love to see vote by mail like Zeki has in Washington, our legislators are taking us clear to the other side of the spectrum. Less days, um, more restrictions, harder to vote, making it harder for individuals to get out to vote. So uh, I think the challenge is how do we get them back to the other side to see the importance of every single vote matters. And so with 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 those challenges coming up and after all you've been through and seen, do you get discouraged? I get discouraged in the fact that our legislators don't understand the importance of every single vote, whether that's a Republican, a Democrat, or an independent. Uh, we all have the right to voice uh, our our concerns at the ballot box. And the most important thing is to understand, much like what Zeki and you are saying, you know, we live in a different environment now. Uh, if everyone was mailed a ballot and they could sit at home and they could take time to research who they were voting for and mail it back, uh, we might have more of an engagement across the United States for every election. Um, but we seem to want to scrutinize. And while that's a very progressive state, Colorado is, uh, California, where you have vote by mail, we don't seem to be in the rest of the country moving towards making it more available. Mm -hmm. We seem to see those other states that are making it more restrictive. Iowa was the first one to pass the less so less days for absentee and the penalties for elections uh, officers. So in Iowa, we have absentees, but we went from uh, 40 days to 29 days to now 20 days. Mm -hmm. And my if we have UOCAVA votes, which are votes for military people overseas, if our ballot has to be ready 45 days ahead of time for those individuals, I think we should make that available for all of our citizens in our counties, in our states, so I that see. they can vote early. And so let's wrap this up then. If, if you had to think about one takeaway that you want folks listening to have about what it would take to increase voter turnout, what would you say to them? Absolutely, their voice 
and their vote matter, no matter what election it is. Get involved, lead by example, go to the ballot, put your voice out to action, make it happen. That's wonderful. And if you get the response of, yes, but uh, it just takes up too much time, I've, I've got too many things in my life, what, what would you say to that person? Your life is dictated by the votes that those individuals are going to make. So mm. it's very important that you understand that every single office that there is, whether it's school board or city council, they're affecting your life in one way or another. And it matters how you are voting, how they're governing. And that's the true sense of democracy. One vote for fair representation. And w one last one for you. Uh, why is it so important that people vote in every election, even, even the smaller ones? I say, you know, a lot of that is the commitment of those people to put themselves out there and even run, support them for wanting to step up. And, you know, school board, especially, I don't know, in other states, but in Iowa, they don't get paid and they put lots of hours and time in to ensure that our children have the policies and procedures in place. And so, you know, understand those people are out there working on your behalf, whether you support what they're doing or you don't stay involved. Mm. And can you tell us a little bit about how you stay involved right now? I'm running. A, <laughs> I am actually I don't live in Scott County anymore. I'm a couple counties over, but I'm running a uh, statewide Senate campaign. Oh, wow. And um, are you uh, being able to translate what you've learned about voting through that position of what you're working on right now? Oh, absolutely. Because there's so much information out there. And much like what Zeki used with his text messaging, there's a lot of opportunities to use technology to benefit us all through the election process. Even if your commissioners of elections were able to send out a text to everybody, letting them know where their absentee voting sites are. Got it. Roxana Moritz is the former chief election officer from Scott County, Iowa. She spent more than two decades in public service. Roxana, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today. The United States of Anxiety is a production of WNYC Studios. Our theme music was written by Annis Brown and performed by the Outerboro Brass Band. Mixing by Jared Paul. Milton Ruiz was on the boards for the live show. Our team also includes Emily Botine, Regina Dehir, Karen Frillman, Rahima Nasa, and Kai Wright. And I'm Kushan Avidar. As always, I hope you'll join us for the live version of the show next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Kai will be back with a special announcement we're all really excited about. You'll definitely want to take note. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>